codependency. It's a strange psychological phenomenon. People living highly addictive or destructive lifestyles are usually aided by somebody. People who make excuses for them. <laughs> People who help them to execute their often lethal lifestyles, but aren't otherwise a part of that lifestyle. Codependence. And what the experts all say is that they, the psychologists and counselors, can't get the dependent to change unless the codependent changes. Now, if the codependent does change, the dependent will change. And wow, what a change it can be. Sometimes good, sometimes not. But they will change because, effectively, their world changes. A lot of people seek advice for someone in their life. My wife keeps doing this. What do I do about that? My son won't do this. My boss, that other person in our group, how do I change them? Point one, you cannot change people. <laughs> you can't change someone else. What are you doing to get your husband, your mom, your employee to change their behavior? Well, I keep doing this, but they just don't seem to change. <laughs> yeah, think about this for a second. You keep doing the same thing and you wonder why they keep doing the same thing. Uh, <laughs> why don't they change? Do you know why an addict changes when their codependent changes? Because their whole world changes. They have to change just to keep up, just to keep living. It's like growing up in the desert and then suddenly being transported into the middle of the Pacific Northwest. <sighs> you can't live like you did before. And anyone with any sense will say, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I like it up here. So we discover that there really is a way to change people. Change yourself. They will have to respond because their world changed. And you are a part of their world. You changed. They have to change to live in their changed world. But how will they change? In what way will they change? Well, I'm afraid you really can't control that. <laughs> Not all that much. You know, sorry, but you can't control that because you can't really change people. You can only change the world that they live and breathe in. I like that old saying, never give a pig a bath. You'll just get dirty and it'll annoy the pig. <laughs> Most pigs don't like their world being changed any more than people do. And Paul, the apostle, he was in the pig washing business. <laughs> and some of them got annoyed. <laughs> when we were last in Acts, just last Sunday, we saw Paul and Silas in Philippi where their work got them beaten and thrown in jail. God took offense to that and rather dramatically took them back out and they continued their journey. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyanna, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in, as was his custom. There are some things in life you don't want to change. <laughs> Paul had a custom to go into the synagogue wherever he was every Sabbath. 
that's a good thing. And we have to have the same kind of habit. You're here, so obviously you know that. And the reason we shouldn't change those good practices is that, well, first, it changes our world, and we need that. But also, other people are forced to respond to the change in our lives. It's a part of the world that they live in. You're going to skip the Super Gold pregame show, all eight hours of it, just to go to church? I, I Somebody was here once and told me that on a Super Bowl. <laughs> that was really funny. Why would you do that? You told your kids you have to leave to get to a Bible study? Why would you do that? But why the synagogue? For Paul, not for us. You may remember that people attending the synagogue back then were Bible trained, and many of them true believers in God. Some of them just hadn't had a chance to hear about Jesus yet. If they hear about Jesus and accept the good news, they are going to become great teachers for this new way, the church. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. For three weeks in a row, Paul went in and talked Bible with them. He washed pigs. (laughs) He changed their world. He said the law that we have always lived by had a purpose to bring us to Jesus the Christ all that we know has changed we used to live in the desert now we live in the Pacific Northwest (laughs) and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women some of them believed this is great but it's only some of them the Jews that is to say Remember, Silas is there, and he would have given his witness about the Jerusalem council that we looked at back in Acts 15. The Gentiles can become God followers through Jesus without having to act like Jews at all. And most of those Jews didn't like that. Hey, we're not special anymore. Sure, you're special, just like everyone else. (laughs) But what about those Gentiles? A great many of the devout Greeks joined our intrepid pig bathers, and not a few of the leading women in Macedonia, unlike much of that ancient world. Women had great influence. Did you notice that it sounds like they then met elsewhere, not at the synagogue as Christ followers? That means attendance at the synagogue probably began to shrink. You see, Paul wasn't there in Thessalonica for just three weeks. It was three weeks that he went into the synagogue, but he was in the city for way longer. In the letter that he later wrote to the Philippian church, he thanked them for twice sending him money to finance his work while he was in Thessalonica. Well, that didn't happen in just three weeks. And probably less than a year after the events we are reading about today, Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Well, if Paul worked a day job to support himself, then he must have been there quite a while. Most people figured they were there for a number of months. People were excited about the wonderful news of Jesus. 
And more and more joined Paul and Silas, and fewer and fewer attended the synagogue. So it will not surprise you that Luke says the work was going great, but the Jews were jealous. <laughs> All those Gentiles who used to hang on their every word stopped listening. Well, stopped listening to those who rejected Jesus. Instead, they listened to Paul and Silas. And what did the other Jews do? But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. All right, let's think about this for a moment. The rabble. There was, at that time, a group of guys who were too lazy to work, and so they lived off other people and gathered together in the market, the local bar. I know it's hard to believe. I mean, can you imagine somebody living off of the government coffers who was simply too lazy to work? Aren't you glad we don't live in the first century where people used to do that? <laughs> but that's what this word translated, the rabble, was used to describe. So let's see. What's the number one problem unbelieving Jews say they have with Paul and the good news of Jesus? Well, you're letting in those Gentiles without even making them act like Jews. That's their big problem. I mean, you see the irony here? This unholy alliance? They're using Gentiles, wicked ones at that, to fight against Paul because he wants to let Gentiles in. Uh, <laughs> they're partnering with men they would have shunned a few months before this. They'd have never gotten near them. And now they're making plans with them, probably paying them. When you change an addict's world, if he doesn't want to change his behavior, he will find someone, anyone else, to help him return his world to normal. Well, what he thinks is normal. It's a sad truth that people who have a distorted view of what the world is supposed to be will often join with people they previously despised to try and keep their world as it is. And sometimes... They'll do a lot worse than that. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason where Paul was staying. But for some reason they couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they haul his host to court and make wild, exaggerated claims. Or were they exaggerated claims? Were the followers of Jesus turning the world upside down? Well, actually, yeah, they were. <laughs> but at this point in time, not very many people had become Christians. Uh, eventually, Christianity would change the face of the world. Politics, business, education, everything. Regardless, at this moment, it had changed their world. <laughs> the only one they cared about. It turned their world upside down, and that's pretty much all that mattered to them. So they talk on, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Okay. We've noticed that they will drag others into the fray to get their way, but they'll also blame anyone they can if they can't blame who they want. <laughs> and there's this. It's a dangerous thing to be associated with people who turn the world upside down. Like Paul's host Jason was 
If you're going to start bringing Jesus into people's lives, that means you're going to be turning their world upside down. Are you sure you want to do that? And did you notice the accusation? They are saying there's another king, Jesus. Do you wonder like I do? Were they in Jerusalem for Jesus' crucifixion? Did they see the chief priest use this exact same tactic? Hey, it worked there. Let's try it here. I don't know. But it does form another unholy union. Jews and the Roman leaders, just like in Jerusalem. Don't they realize it didn't work in Jerusalem? Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> but facts never stop an addict. They always find some excuse. And they always cause problems in the community. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. The people and the city authorities don't know Paul and Silas. They don't know what caused the conflict. And they cannot know how to respond. Even if they had some knowledge of the facts, they're not believers, and so they don't have all the necessary information. Remember Jesus' warning to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. When we work with unbelievers in the community, we have to be careful not to expect them to understand like believers do. To borrow a phrase from Dr. Jack Wilsey, we should not unnecessarily outrage public standards by needlessly radical behavior. Don't be a radical Christian just to be radical. <laughs> you might have to be radical, but it needs to be for a good reason. We need to be careful not to do or say things that are not necessary for the telling of the gospel truths, but never denying the good news. And we have to remember that the truth we speak will turn their world upside down as well. So be gentle and very, very patient. I love to fly in small airplanes. Not big ones, just small ones. And just this last year, a few months ago actually, I was given a ride in an aerobatic airplane. You know, one that does flips and rolls and quite literally turns your world upside down. <laughs> I mean, Marv, he's the build coordinator for Team Fight, where I mentor, he began to take people up. He quickly learned that you have to tell them what you're about to do before you do it. So, hey, Rick, you want to do some aerobatics? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a roll to the right. Okay, same thing to the left. Okay, How about an inside loop? You want to do it? So we did inside loop. It was fun. I had a lot of fun. Surprisingly, I got a little dizzy. Didn't think I would and ever so slightly nauseous. Uh, that's probably why after every move, uh, Marv asked, how you doing back there? <laughs> this is a 10 MC. So he had long ago discovered that if you were, if, if the, the riders, each, each passenger, they're ready for the change and you give them time to settle in, settle in between, then people are much less likely to lose their lunch in his cockpit, okay? <laughs> yeah. Now, it's true. Some people walk right into it. No problems. First time, they just do it. Some people are great. But most of us need some time and a warning. It helped me. So when you're going to turn someone's world upside down, <laughs> let's be patient when we deal with them. Might, it just might come out all right, like it did here. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the, and the rest, they let them go. 
in that system, the bond was paid to ensure no other disturbance occurred. <laughs> they didn't bond the person to make sure they didn't run off like we do. Uh, they didn't really care about that. The bond was returned if the disturbance didn't. After a given time, if there was no trouble, then they would give the money back. Kind of like parents, you know, we don't really want justice. We just want quiet. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. They weren't concerned with the men, uh, just the event, well, that there wouldn't be another one. For us, we might say, don't take it personally when people oppose you. Uh, it's the message of Jesus Christ that is difficult for them and the disturbance that it causes in their lives. They don't hate you. Well, not just because it's you. It's the message, the message that turns their world upside down. That's what they struggle with. So what to do next? Well, the church is well established and Paul and Silas are in real danger. Don't forget what happened in Philippi. So the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. <laughs> you know, never give up, never surrender. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know, I just love these guys. They got a message to bring and they're going to bring it. And they're not going to change the custom they know God gave them. And good news, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. <laughs> hey, you never know, do you? <laughs> I'm guessing our heroes were ready for another fight. And instead, they get people who want to know the truth, even if it turns their world upside down. Could happen. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Did you catch the ways that they are more noble? They're eager to hear the truth. They trust the scriptures. They know that God speaks through the Old Testament scriptures. That's all they had. And that they say, the scriptures say, there would be a great change at some point in time. So they search them to check and see, is this that time? Is this really it? And how often did they do it? Not just once a week on the Sabbath like the Thessalonians. Daily. How important was it to them? Well, again, they didn't just come once a week to find out. They were reading the scriptures and considering this truth Paul proclaimed every single day. If a person really believes accepting some truth will turn their world upside down, I think it's pretty wise to carefully consider that truth. Find out for sure that it really is truth. Dedicate your life to finding out if it's really truth. Because if your world is going to be flipped over, you better make sure it's being turned right side up. That you are moving from the desert to the great northwest, not the other way around. <laughs> You see, as Christians, we proclaim that this world will end. Then there will, in effect, be two worlds. Every human will be in one of those two. No human will have any association with any human in the other world. One world will be life. The other will be death. Kind of an important message, don't you think? When anyone understands that this is the truth that we proclaim, they will react either nobly, like most of the Jews in Berea did, or ignobly, like most of the Jews in Thessalonica did. 
If we as believers understand that everything we do, everything we do is headed towards the living hope that is eternal life with Jesus, wouldn't everything take on a new meaning? You wouldn't even mow the lawn the same when you realize it will be echoed in eternity. Hey, let's run a load of laundry! I'm serious. You get excited when you realize your heart in that task, whatever that task is, will be reflected in eternity. Whatever the task is. I think we're missing on this one. <laughs> but the point is, everything you do takes on a heavenly hue. No wonder we read our Bible every day. No wonder we pray. No wonder we carve out time in our days to gather with other believers. And what happens when noble minds consider the truth of Jesus Christ? Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Did you catch that the same phrasing, Luke used the same phrasing about the Gentiles here as those that were in Thessalonica? But this time, many of the Jews also believed instead of only some. But when the Jews from Thessalonica <laughs> learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds. Wow, these guys really don't like being upside down. So Berea, you see, it was three days' journey on foot away, not on the main road. It's off in the woods. And those Jews are still so angry about their world being flipped over that they hot-foot it down there to mainly try to turn the clock back. They want their old world back. <laughs> Note that they are not stirring up Jews, but the Gentile crowd. Once again, the very thing that set them off is what they are doing. But this time, the local Jews won't side with them. They were already on the side of truth. Why would they go back? Well, the church realizes the smart thing to do. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. They knew they could diffuse the situation by sending Paul away. Simply put, Paul was not the one God wanted to use to grow that church. He did his job. He got it started. Now he can and should move on. Sometimes we have to recognize that we're not the one to tell someone about Christ. <laughs> if the battle can be won more easily by others, maybe we're not supposed to be in that battle. Um, please, don't use this as an excuse. <laughs> you do talk when you should. Back to Acts. There's something else fascinating in this verse. Silas and Timothy stayed there. Apparently, the unbelieving Jews knew that Paul was the focus in bringing this message to the Gentiles, and the church in Berea still needed a little more instruction before they were able to make it on their own. But surprisingly, not the Thessalonian church. People who don't want to hear your message, like the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica, will misinterpret it, pervert it, try to destroy it, and maybe you, while well, they're at it. <laughs> But those that get it 
especially those that get it in the midst of trials. See, there's no letter to the Berean church in the Bible, but we have two letters Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Interesting. Listen to this excerpt. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Do you think Paul loved that church? <laughs> and that he was proud of them. The way people wrote back then, they often referred to themselves as we and us. Paul did here. Uh, it was done out of modesty, uh, to avoid sounding like you were trying to be over-important. So often when you read Paul's letters, you can substitute I and me. It's not possible to know for sure when this is what Paul meant. But let's do this substitution for you as we read another section a little later in the same letter. Therefore, when I could bear it no longer, I was willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and I sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that I am destined for this. For when I was with you, I kept telling you beforehand that I was to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and my labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to me from you and has brought me the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember me kindly and long to see me as I long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all my distress and affliction, I have been comforted about you through your faith. You'd think maybe he loved that little church. <laughs> the people who believed with terrible opposition Okay, we don't know if the church was little. It may have had a thousand members. But we do know that Paul's two letters to the church in Thessalonica are very short. You can read them both in under 15 minutes. Please, like this week, read those. <laughs> Remember all the trouble that he went through when he established that church as you read those letters? It will open your eyes eyes as you absorb these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's finish by reading the end of his first letter to that faithful church born in the midst of trouble. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one replays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. 
Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Pray for me. Pray for each other. Greet all the brothers with a holy hand clasp. <laughs> Let's get in the 21st century here. <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Change. Have you changed? Will you change your world so that those who live in it with you will see Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, they will change too. Trade in their old for new. No longer codependent. Both, both, but both of you a new creation. Being prepared in every act you do for a new world.